Hello, welcome to this week's episode of the Empowered Artist Collective podcast. My name is Jennifer Apple, she, her, and this week I speak to neuroperformance coach Jessica Ram Foster all about how we can overcome obstacles and pain in our bodies by learning how to play with our brains. I know, it's as wild as it sounds, and that is exactly why Jessica is on this episode. She shares her journey to this work and the way it has changed her life and the lives of so many other artists. And more importantly, she shares tools for us to tackle stress and threats in our nervous systems, how to create more space for movement and incorporate curiosity and play. We talk about the importance of being present and giving oneself permission and recognizing the power of one's brain. As humans, and more specifically as artists, our bodies are the vessel through which we express ourselves and exist on this planet. So why not give ourselves as many tools and interesting tricks as we possibly can? That is what this episode hopes to do. Enjoy. Hi, Jessica. How are you? I am great. Hello, Jennifer. I'm so grateful that you are here, that we made this happen, that you're going to be sharing with our listeners. Um, Before we jump on into what will be, I'm sure, a very interesting conversation, please share uh, who you are with the listeners today. Well, thank you for having me. I am really excited to be here. Um, My name is Jessica Ron Foster. I am a neuro performance coach. Uh, so no one has a clue what that means. <laughs> um, but basically, I help people get out of pain and improve performance by teaching them how to play with their brains. So I use cutting edge tools and techniques from neuroscience uh, and make them really easy to use so that people can start to really understand and uncover and then overcome obstacles in their nervous system itself that are blocking them from their goals, whether that's health and wellness or performance or whatever that may be. So cool. So cool. cool. Um, I'd love to just double back and just talk about you as a person before we double into this work. How did you get to this work or like, who are you to have arrived at this point in your life doing this work? Yes, that's a very good question that I ask myself often. <laughs> <laughs> don't we all? Oh, really? Like, don't we all? <laughs> Where did this come from? <laughs> um, so I am a musical theater and film performer um, and, you know, did that. Well, let me backtrack a little bit. I actually majored in biology. So there is sort of a full circle here, but I pursued performing professionally for 15 years um, and somewhere in there decided to get certified in Pilates largely to stop waiting tables because I'm Mm -hmm. really bad at that. (laughs) I have stories. Anyway, um, so I had done that and I was using it for singers and actors here. I'm in San Francisco at the moment. Um, I was kind of tying it into my vocal, my vocal coach's studio and was seeing some really clear benefits for me and for some of these other singers. So I was already in this interesting dialogue around the body and the instrument. Then I moved to New York, which there's a story behind that too. It was something I'd been trying to do for, you know, 10 years Mm -hmm. and it just never felt ready. Like I I felt like I knew what I was capable of. I knew I had what it took. I just felt like I was giving like 60% most of the time and wanted to figure that out. It was like, Hey, I can do all these really cool things and I can be this really dynamic, interesting performer except sometimes I can't. And I, Mm. you know, that trust in myself and that feeling of like, 
which one's it going to be today right. um, was always terrifying and produced extreme anxiety levels around auditions in particular. Um, you get me in a costume and you put some lights on me and I tend to be just fine. But like that weird experience of being in a room dressed as you with someone that you can see who is clearly judging you, you know what I mean? Mm. <laughs> it's just, uh, mm. um, anyway, yeah. So that was at some point though, I just kind of went, you know what? I got to do this thing. I'm getting old <laughs> as actors think of themselves at 30. Um, and I need to do this. And maybe by going and actually auditioning and auditioning and auditioning, I will actually break through this. Maybe I just need to do more of it. Um, and so I went to New York and started auditioning and it got worse. Mm. <laughs> like it was just, it wasn't, it was, I realized I was practicing bad auditioning skills. And In so, what way? Meaning like, I was now imprinting that auditions were going to be these scary, ah, mm -hmm. terrifying things that I was going to have to battle through and they were going to suck. Yeah. Um, and it didn't feel good. Um, and at some point, I mean, I, I was probably about like four or five months after I got into New York. This, <laughs> so I studied voice with Andrew Byrne in New York and he had another student um, Cecilia Tickton, she's played Elphaba now and done all kinds of really cool things, but she, she had just found this program called Z Health, which I had never heard of. And she was teaching this Z Health for Singers workshop through Andrew's studio. And I was like, what, what is this? Let me go check it out. Um, and so I went and in 45 minutes, like my life changed. Like it was, it was a wow. paradigm shift moment. And I still don't fully remember everything she did. I know I did an eye drill. Um, I did something with my pelvis and I actually don't remember what the third thing was, but like we were singing as an assessment to see whether or not, you know, it made a difference. And I remember singing like with, there were people in the room and it only takes one person to freak me out, but there were like multiple people in the room and, <laughs> and I was fine. Like I could sing, I was singing black velvet and like it was mm. easy peasy afterwards. And, like, oh, that's very interesting. Let's let's see what happens with this. And the next day I actually had an audition for a national tour and I went in and belted my high F like I do in the shower, but don't usually do in yeah. the room. And they liked it and they asked for a legit piece, which is just sheer terror for me. Um, basically for me, anything above a D was prime real estate for a panic attack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, but I, I did it, I sang my legit piece like I do in the shower. And I, I walked out of that room and I was just like, I, I don't know what just happened, but that was a completely different experience. And I need to find out more about what this is. Mm. And so I actually started training with her and, you know, my first session with her, well, just to kind of backtrack, cause I do feel like there's some context that's important. Okay. I've always felt like there was something off for me. It's the best way I can describe it. Like when I was little in an elementary school, I'd periodically be like, I don't feel good. And I would mm. go to the nurse and they'd check my temperature and I wouldn't have a fever. And so they'd give me a hug and send me back to class. And my mother would get yet another phone call. We had a little visit from Jessica today. She's fine, you know? <laughs> and literally by the time I got back to class, I would feel okay. And at this point, I think it was just getting up and walking around was sort of all I really needed. That mm. I was, things were getting stuck or stagnant or something wasn't quite right. So there's always been that feeling. 
Um, by the time I was in New York, my, I was getting like major motion sickness just riding the subway, which like that's a really great way to set yourself up for an audition is to feel like crap before you yeah, even get really. Um, so, you know, New York and the city life, it was extremely like I just felt like I was um, drowning a little bit. And so all of that was kind of going on prior to me getting to this session with her and figuring out that, in fact, there were some major issues with my eyes that mm. I had no idea about. You know, we think about vision as like this static thing. You go to an optometrist and they give you a Snellen chart that has letters on it and you stare at it and you read it and you either can or you can't. And it's that simple, but it isn't. Vision is actually a skill and it's a very complex, um, multifaceted skill. Like, yeah, we should be able to see something clearly if we're standing still, but I should also be able to see it clearly if my head is moving, if I'm in movement. I should be able to track it if it's moving without me moving. Mm -hmm. um, there's you know, distance vision and up close, there's peripheral vision, right? There's all these different pieces that go into vision. And your brain, I think it's like 75% of the sensory information we take in that the brain perceives and, and uses comes from our eyes. So even though there wasn't necessarily something, ex, you know, specifically diagnosable with my eyes, even a small deficit, and I don't know how small mine actually was, but even a small deficit can kind of wreak havoc on things under the radar without you even knowing. Ah, so she discovered that for you or with yeah. you and then. Yeah. yeah. I mean, basically like she held me hold my eyes in different positions for five seconds. And by the time that session was done, I went home and went to bed for three hours. Wow. It was intense. <laughs> wow. It reminds me of like, and I don't mean to compare you to a dog, but it reminds me of like dog training in the way beginning when you do like what seems to be the most mundane thing of just sit. And then by the end of it, the dog has slept now for like 10 hours straight. They haven't woken up and you're like, are you okay? It's like, no, well, clearly it's, not. It's you a good example because you're, it's like a new neural pathway yeah. laid down and that actually is calorically expensive. Yeah. So you, you have to rest, you know, it's, it's, you have to eat and you have to rest. Yeah. So after this moment with her, and I imagine a decent amount of training, what drew you to actually pursue this as um, a practice? It's funny. It was probably like my third or fourth session with her where it was becoming clear that my issues were pretty intense and I was going to have to, it would be more economical for me to actually go into the training itself um, than pay her to train me. Um, and she looked at me and she was like, you're going to be a Z health instructor. <sighs> literally like fuck you like I'm an artist <laughs> yeah. Yeah. um but she was right um yeah. and it was so I did jump in and I did the whole curriculum and what was amazing though is Andrew Byrne decided to jump in and do it as well and so he and I were able to do all of the courses together and where Z Health it, it's this education system designed to teach athletic trainers how to get better performance out of their athletic performers, athletes, that's what I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, singing very clearly is an athletic endeavor. You're using your body. Um, and so he and I were able to sort of translate everything for singing. But what really hit was for me, I was in scene study class, you know, weekly at that point, and things were shifting. Things were really starting to shift. And I'd been in acting training for 15 years. It's not like I was new to the craft. Yeah. But all of a sudden, I could access things publicly that I couldn't access before. Mm. There was I was able to show up to the work and bring everything that I wanted to bring. Wow. And it was it was just 
I was like, this is everything I've ever wanted. Yeah. And simultaneously, I, you know, in order to pay for this rather expensive education I was now jumping into, I started working at the JCC Manhattan and was, you know, as a personal trainer, largely for, well, people who'd fallen through the cracks in the medical system. And we sort of, you know, they'd come in thinking they were coming for a workout. And I'd be like, yes, but we're going to work out your extra ocular muscles today. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> right. There was um it was it was great though. It was such a great opportunity to try all these things out on different bodies and really see the power of it. And like people's lives were changing yeah. by my sharing this information. And so it was like, well, wait a second. This is important for anybody. And like I now have a responsibility to carry this because it's not it's not known. This isn't something that people are talking about yet. And especially yeah. not, you know, 10 years ago. Well, let's talk about it then more in detail. How or what exactly is this work? Obviously, we're talking about it from like a vision perspective and from a neurological perspective. But how is this any different than say I, you know, go to a speech pathologist and we're working on my voice or if I go to a physical therapist and we're working with my specific physical ailments, how and what is the difference with this kind of work that may overlap or may not overlap? So basically it's a lens of looking at the body through the lens of the nervous system with this idea that anything that we experience is governed by the brain and by the nervous system. Your muscles can't fire if there isn't a neurological signal. Um, you can't breathe without the, the neurological activation for that to happen. So that's basically the gist of it. And so then that allows us to say, okay, you're gonna go to this, this speech pathologist is what they're doing helping? Is the input that they're providing actually shifting the output that you're seeking? So it's a, then becomes sort of this game of like, what inputs, what sensory inputs can we give you to create change in whatever it is that we're trying to have happen? Does that make sense? Somewhat. So can we do like a weird concrete example that we can make up on the fly? Yeah. Great. So, oh boy. Um, let's say I had a vocal injury and I, I lose phonation in the middle of my cords. I would obviously want to go get scoped. I would want to go to, you know, um, maybe get some myofascial release. I would probably want to go on vocal rest. Maybe at some point I might've been on some sort of steroid. I don't know. There's something about my vocal injury. What would we do together for either me to empower myself in these various other doctor spaces, or what are we doing together to move through, say, that vocal injury? Mm -hmm. It's a really awesome example. So one of the key pieces that I talk about is this idea of pain. And vocal injuries are interesting because oftentimes they're not necessarily painful. Yeah, you just lose. But you yeah. just kind of lose. So for me, that idea of pain is like any any physical experience I don't want. So let's say there's inflammation now. So part one is if you truly have injured something, then all of the protocols for an injury are absolutely you know important. Necessary, we yeah. We need to heal. We need it to rest. All of those things. Um, but then where this work might come in is like, well, why did that happen? Was it was it a one-off experience that you just shouldn't do that again? Okay, cool. But if there's actually a pattern happening in the voice and you mm -hmm. are using different muscles incorrectly or there's an imbalance, then that's where we can start to get some interesting things, right? So 
the myofascial work, maybe, you know, to help release tension or do some of these things. But nine times out of 10, the imbalance in muscles is being driven by either your eyes or your inner ear, the vestibular system. Mm -hmm. So posture is like 90% driven by vision and vestibular inputs. So if I want to avoid that happening again, then I might want to look at some of those higher order systems to be like, where is my head in space? You know, do I, I might have it in the right place while I'm singing, but as I'm walking to the grocery store, is it now in this position and I'm loading things, right? Um, what I love about what I do is that all you really need is like an atlas of anatomy, whether that's neural anatomy or bones and muscles. And you can actually start to play with things and go, okay, well, this is connected to this and this is connected to this. And if they're connected, then they impact each other. And if I can't get a result by directly going and working on the area that's having a problem, then what else can I do? What else can I influence to create a change in that area? Does that make sense? Yes. But I'm, I'm going to argue with you in a way that I have zero qualms of doing. And also I have no actual education in real body anatomy to any, make any of these. But arguably, isn't everything really connected? Right. Like, so, so then where am I going? Right. It's like, if I, you know, I can talk personally, like I've had many a back herniated, slipped, whatever the situation. Right. And so much of it over time working with my team has been, you know, I'm very aware now when things are shifted and when things feel out of whack and what I need to do. But in the way beginning, it was like, oh, cool. You know, actually you have a, slip disc in your neck. And the only reason that that one's really there is because you pronate inwards with your knees and now your hips are misaligned, which is like, I mean, it was like, what is even happening here? And we went all the way down to the middle lower part of my body to find what's messing up my neck. I guess my point is it's like, we could go very, very far in my body to find that little thing, but how do we know how far we need to, to track? Yes. Really, really good questions. And it sounds like you have a good team, which is great. <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> I best at this point. <laughs> um, you know, the, the traditional modality is my knee hurts. I'm going to go work on my knee and maybe, right. it's, maybe it's my knee and maybe it's not. And if it's my knee, then working on my knee will fix it. Great. If it's not, then we need to go further down or up the chain. Um, so what I love is, so there's, the concept behind this is, yes, we are all connected and the nervous system is global. And so the weirdest part about what I do is that we can oftentimes create change in the nervous system somewhere, nothing to do with your back and impact your back. And it makes sense to us on some, like it's easier, I think, for us to understand that, oh, my knees, like hold up my back. And so they're structurally, if my knees aren't in the right place and I'm dancing and doing all these things, I might have issues further up the chain. Mm -hmm. Conceptually, I think is easy enough for most of us to grasp. What I'm talking about is I might pull on your tongue and have it impact your back. We may put heat on your knees or like poke it with a sharp needle <laughs> and have it impact your back. And so then it becomes the, this important question of, can I communicate with my nervous system well enough to know whether or not what I'm doing is actually making a change that I want or not? And so right. how that, do we do that? So basically the bottom line underneath everything I do is that we assess everything. And because the nervous system is global, we can assess anything. Like I can use singing as an assessment. 
or I can use vision as an assessment, um, range of motion, right? Anything, check that, then do some kind of input, which I'll just say part of what I do is sort of do a full neural analysis of someone and figure out where the deficits are so we can start there. It gives us an inroads of like, oh, let's begin here. <laughs> oh, you can't smell? What happens if we can fix that, right? <laughs> like, yeah. um, does that have an impact? Um, and so globally, if we fix something in some area, we should see an improvement in performance across the board. If it's negative, if it's neutral, if like we, you know, you, it doesn't change anything, it just means that was not that interesting to your brain or body. You probably do that all the time, not that exciting. If it's negative, that's actually really important information. You know, most of what I use in terms of inputs are skills, it's movement based, it's, um, or receptor base, right? So like, yeah, you should be able to feel that and that shouldn't freak you out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if it does, then that tells us something about either the receptors or the pathway to the brain or the brain itself, right? So if it's negative, then that means there's some area there that we have the potential to rehabilitate and create potentially a much bigger bang for our buck. So in the example then of say this vocal injury, and yes. I were to come to you to help me feel less pain. Mm -hmm. What in theory would we be doing? Mm -hmm. For me, I would be interested. Let's say you've been cleared. Yeah. That would be the first thing like, okay, it's, it's well, but you're still, things aren't feeling great. Um, I would be interested in two things. One is like inflammation. It's a threat response, right? So if it's no longer injured, but there's still inflammation, then can we manage the inflammation? Okay. Have you now lost the ability to control the muscles the way you used to be able to? Are the movement maps in your brain of your vocal cords and the muscles around it no longer functioning the way they used to? Can we clean up those blurry maps? And that's probably going to be, you know, vocalises, right? With some kind of input to sort of give you a novel stimulus, maybe. Um, and would we be doing that by you going to my knees or are we like, what are some potential, I guess like m a more forward way of asking this is like, obviously every single person's body is different and every single person's um, trauma response is different and everybody is a totally different human being. <laughs> so I imagine that the work is truly a not one size fits all. But with that said, are there like tools or tricks or things that we could start to implement for ourselves when and if there is pain or an injury that we've then been told it's okay to, you know, repair, like post that, are there things that we can do as an inventory for ourselves in this kind of way to start to make those neurological connections yeah. or pathways open or like, what are we doing? <laughs> I think we have three responses to that. Great. One, if we're seriously talking about a vocal injury, like get thee to Andrew Byrne. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like forget the, I, we could totally negate the, it. Like I just, I guess for me, it's like very helpful to think in terms of like an totally. actual tangible example, but we can no, totally also throw that out the window. But it's, I think it's, I think it works because the second piece is, if you think about this global idea of your nervous system as what I call a threat bucket, like you only have so much capacity to handle threat or stress is another way, threat's the neurological word for it. But if that bucket fills up and starts overflowing, that's where we get pain. And again, pain can be however you want to describe it, something you don't want to have happen physically. Um, so where my work comes in is 
what can we do to globally reduce that threat in the bucket so that your capacity to show up to the work that you're doing increases? Because we have to ride the subway, we have to do all the things, right? But like, if I've already overflowed my bucket, then my chances to A, rehabilitate an injury, which requires, you know, again, that's the same as dog training, it's calorically expensive, is smaller. My ability to perform the way I want to perform is completely diminished, mm -hmm. right? Because I'm now in this stress response. So can we get in there and mine your nervous system for these deficits, figure out how to rehabilitate some of those, and now you've got this much more space available to show up for the things that matter to you? Okay. Does that make sense? Yes. So we're trying to reduce stressors is really the bottom line. Yes. And so then doubling back again, I'm going to keep pushing you until I yeah. get one. <laughs> what then are some tools or tricks that we could use? Again, recognizing everyone's a different human being and we all have our own stuff. Are there generalized ways for us to reduce those? Yes, I want actually, them. <laughs> Clearly. I actually just posted this. I just wrote about it in my newsletter this week. Like, Amazing. Um, if I have one zone of genius around this, I actually think it is in finding sleuthy self-care tips. Yeah. <laughs> How do I plug this in? And so, yeah, kind of with my understanding of now, my understanding of like, oh my gosh, the importance of moving your eyes or moving your inner ears, that vestibular system, like, yeah, I have like my top 10. Um, Great. Let's hear a couple Actually, or all. I don't care. Let me get my list. I have it right here. Oh my God. I am ready. <laughs> I'm so prepared. Um, and you can actually go to Instagram. I have a carousel where I've written this out. So you don't need to necessarily take notes if you're listening. Um, but um, yeah, so basically one is movement, but move often, right? So this idea that we like work, 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 and then go to a dance class or go to the gym or something like that. Like if you can do that, great. At least you're getting that load. Right. But more important is actually, can I move throughout the day? Can I get up and like, and not just, I mean, walking is really useful, but also considering multi-planar movements. Like, can I look at the sky? <laughs> can I look up at the big buildings? Can I, um, you know, squat, bend, twist, skip, something novel or new so that I get out of this box here of non-movement. Um, and so, yeah, that idea of like kind of moving often. Um, I train, I mean, these are the general things, right? Yeah. Specifically, just for food for fun. Food for fun? Food for food thought? For thought? <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, food for fun is, I mean, I'm into that. That's my kind of food, actually. You should be able to move every joint through its entire range of motion at every speed. None of us can do that. Some of us are better than others. But it creates this fodder of like, well, wait a second. Have I moved my wrists today? You know? Hmm. Can I circle my index finger? Have we been talking lately? And every time I start to create this novel communication with some part of my body I may have been previously ignoring, it is like just awesome juice for the brain. The brain needs fuel and the brain needs activation to kind of stay alive and stay humming and keep things going. So I come back to play a lot because when you're playing, you tend to get into different positions or do different movements than you might otherwise do. So yeah, I kind of am like, can you be a five-year-old every time you take a bathroom break? That might be really good. We love that. Amazing. <laughs> cool. So there's like a curiosity level of which we all could benefit from approaching movement yes. as opposed to the standard 
walk. Great. I love that. Yeah. We love that. Cool. What else? I'm ready. So we're going to come to the eyes, look up and look out. And I actually saw a post recently that I love that was like, set a timer every 20 minutes, (laughs) look up and look out at least 20 feet away. If you can, I live in a tiny house. It is 24 feet long. <laughs> so you just look the extent of the whole home and you say, I see beyond you. Thank can you. I so have much. a window, right? Like, can I look out the window? Um, but if you can't, like, just look beyond the screen, right? Get beyond your own arm, your own arm reach. Um, there is a huge amount of neurological reasons why that can, we're just in this constant state of convergence these days. Yeah. And that can lead to an immense amount of anxiety. Um can lead to vision issues. It can lead to all kinds of things. And just resetting by looking far away can be huge. When I was in New York, I actually loved, I actually don't even remember, is it the avenues of the streets where you can like look all the way down? Yeah. And it's mm-hmm. just, it's, it's like, oh, I've got distance vision. And yeah. I can actually feel my nervous system just go, oh, Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, I would imagine that's also, you know, I'll speak for myself, like why I love hiking and nature and mountains specifically, especially with a view at the top where you can just see forever and then you feel grounded and you feel. Um... I'm, I'm going to skip to number four since you said that, which is okay, great. go outside. Great. <laughs> great. My favorite tip of all. But yeah, we were designed to live in nature. We weren't designed to live like this. And, yeah. and not only is it a visual thing, but like auditorially, sensorially on every level, I'm not getting as much stimulation as I would if I was out walking in the woods and on some level worried about my survival, right? Like we pay attention, we're more alert, everything's more awake out there. Um, The irony of which though, just now that I'm saying, am I letting my brain go here? Like the irony of which is when you are on more quote unquote survival mechanisms, I would imagine one's body would or should be more on alert and therefore in stress land. But the irony of which is that you're not because it's actually, you're just getting back to what it means to really be a person, which is like, we are animals. Totally. totally. And in, from a neurological nerdy place, like there, it's a balancing act. You need, you need some sympathetic tone to brush your teeth. Right. I mean, like there's a, um, and again, your brain needs activation. If we don't activate, it dies and it will usually create its own activation in the forms of anxiety or you know whatever it needs to do to to get activated so it's it much prefers natural sensory stimulation and movement you know to keep it awake and keep it alert um yeah so that's exactly right we are we are animals and we should behave as such (laughs) within reason um wait double back to number three double three uh, breathe. <laughs> you know, yeah. goes without saying, except that, you know, I'm a trained singer. And when I catch myself midday, I'm not breathing like I have yeah. a clue most of the time, right? So this awareness of, um, there's two pieces to this that I think about that I didn't know. One, one I did, like, can you breathe low into your belly? We've heard that a lot, right? But it's really important. Like it stops it from getting up into the shoulders, which does create tension up in here. And any kind of tension in this area is going to cause problems for just about everything. Like everything that keeps us alive runs through our neck. So yeah. yeah. um, The episode that we released a couple weeks ago with Christine Schneider uh, talks a lot about breath and the importance of breath and voice work and all of that. So people can go back and check that out if you haven't yet already. Yes, I will for sure. Um, The second piece that I didn't know was to actually focus on the exhale. So can I... (sighs) 
right? Like nice, whether it's forceful or just prolonged long exhalation, you are actually rebalancing. If you are prone to hyper breathing, which a lot of us are, especially if you are anxious in any way, mm-hmm. um, it starts to rebalance the carbon dioxide to oxygen ratios. Um, we can't actually absorb oxygen unless there's carbon dioxide in the system. And so a nice long exhale sometimes will let you onboard oxygen so you mm-hmm. can get that to the brain and feel it better. Amazing. Um, there's from a kind of inflammation perspective, carbon dioxide is a vasodilator. It helps with inflammation. So um, yeah, if I'm, if I'm dealing with injury or trying to rehab something, carbon dioxide is one of my key go-tos. Yeah. So yes, to sum that one up, breathe low, exhale. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Great. Uh, and then, yeah, number five, enjoy your meals. Oh, okay. Tell me more. Yes. So a lot of the work that tends to be kind of cool for people and also really effective has to do with the tongue, the mouth, all of these things. And it's sensory work. Can you actually taste your food? Are you smelling things? Are you, so why not in a meal, you know, just pay attention to it. You're getting so much neurological bang for your buck when you're doing that. Um, So yeah, can I smell my food before I put it in my mouth? Can I taste it? If you really want to play, can I taste it on one side of my tongue the same that I can on the other? Does it does it match? Mm. Um, am I chewing? Do I chew on one side versus the other? What happens if I chew on the other side? Mm. Um, can I feel it swallow? Right? There's all these cranial nerves that come into this area that you know the back of the tongue is innervated by the vagus nerve, which is literally the driver of the parasympathetic nervous system, your rest and digest system. So anything having to do with the tongue or swallowing is prime fodder for calming things down and feeling better. The through line that I'm hearing from all of these tips is curiosity and maybe play. Curiosity and play. And mindfulness. And mindfulness. Yeah. Though that word for me, for me at least, is like so triggering now that it's used as like a a capitalist structure to like buy things to be mindful. Oh, nice. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like that's at least where I go with it. And I'm like, I'm trying so hard to recalibrate well, my, how... my business name is the neurology of presence yeah so can i be present to yeah what i'm doing yeah some awareness on what it is i'm doing not to reach some exalted state mm-hmm. <laughs> but, to, but to fully participate in my life yeah well it's... talk to me about the presence aspect of things right like i and we can talk abstractly which is like my favorite thing to do but for those who are listening who want more concrete um, you know, when one is present, what are some of the neurological benefits for that? Hmm. Well, I just want to say this, like I, prior to finding this, like I did all the self-help workshops, like, you know, I was oming on pillows, like all of those things. You can be present to pain, right? I mean, like it's, there's that observer piece, that consciousness, um, and that is, always there, whether we're paying attention to it or not. I use that in this work, but what's of interest to me is what's going on below the surface, which I can't access through thought, but I can through experiencing things sensually. And yes, there will be the observer part of me watching me experience those things, Mm -hmm. but I have to experience them in order to get the benefit of it. All of our nervous system is use it or lose it. So Mm -hmm. if I'm not moving my eyes the way they were designed to move, then they will start to atrophy. The muscles will atrophy just like your biceps will if you don't work them out. So 
that is extremely threatening to the nervous system. So anything we can do to just kind of keep things humming, keep things awake and alive um, is, is what I'm after. There's a quote from Stella Adler that I, I'm not going to say it correctly, but essentially she was talking about like, what is talent? <laughs> and I think it's in, it's in her first book title, which is eluding me right now. Um, but this idea that talent is this God given experience of like the ability to smell, taste, feel, have emotions, be aware of your surroundings simultaneously and facilely, like be able to manipulate all of that. Um, and when I read that, I was like, oh, that's, that's it. Like mm. but everything she's describing is physical and she's wrong. I mean, yes, there are some that have been given it by God, but there are others yeah. that can be trained. Right. And like, that's, <laughs> that was so freeing for me to go, oh, right. This is, if I work on these systems, then my presence, you know, and as a performer, we have an understanding of presence also is like me walking in the room, you're going to feel my presence. That's all created by how, how much am I participating in this physical world in this moment? Yeah. Well, that's the part that I think is why I, I have you here, right? Because if we're talking about artists generally, especially those performers who are sharing space and the goal of which ideally is to be fully present, to be able to share space and also tell stories. Obviously, the tips that you have shared are are things that we can all begin to incorporate maybe more purposefully into our lives. But this idea then of being more present or to be present holistically within oneself as one is in the work or in a space. I guess I'd, I don't even know what my question would be as much as like, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that without a question first, yeah. <laughs> or I can ask one. So part of this, yes, what we're talking about is like genuine, general things that like I'm I'm here for the revolution. Like I want us I want us to rethink what it means to be human, right? I think all artists do on some level. We're tapped into this this understanding that there's more than just this, right? Brain, yeah. Um, and I I point to this and in, in the brain. I I work with brains, but I'm working with what's under the hood. You know, humans, especially in the Western world, we think of our brains as this machine that thinks things. That's your mm -hmm. frontal cortex. It's part of your brain. <laughs> consciousness lives, you know, essentially there. Um, but there's so much more going on. And where this work for me gets really interesting is, well, yeah, I feel like 90% of the issues that people come to see me for would be resolved if they just had more of this list in their life. Mm -hmm. um, I call them neural hygiene Acts. <laughs> like, yeah. We just fed our nervous system more. Most of our issues would be would be gone. Um, but life is a full contact sport, and we're all experiencing things that causes injury. Um, and so the second side of this is where sort of the training and the work comes in is being able to figure out for you individually, okay, what do you need to reduce that threat bucket, that level in the threat bucket? so that you can feel safe enough to show up fully. Right. Um, and that is, that is individual and can be complicated, but like that's, that's the gold, right? Mm -hmm. like for me to be able to walk into an audition and 
do the damn work, mm-hmm. right? And not have it be this like flooding. <laughs> it was like I would just vacate my body. <laughs> yeah. I, can't, I can't do anything if I'm not in here. And yeah. but I do think, you know, even without the training, that curiosity piece and that willingness to kind of think about things beyond our frontal cortex and have what we think about things. And on some level, even more than what we feel about things. Like I think artists were more, we are able to access that element, but this reminder that we have a physical body and that it is in oftentimes the limiting factor to our creativity. I taught this workshop in New York. It was, I, I called it the neurology of presence. It's where my business name came from, but I actually brought in actors and I mean, I knew that this work had impacted my ability to show up to my performance better, not just in singing, but like my actual emotional availability. And, but I wasn't sure, you know, like, was that just my nervous system or was it yeah. general? And I, it was so cool. <laughs> Eight actors in there and we used monologues as assessments. And, you know, I had this one woman that I'd been in scene study with for five years at this point. And she had, you know, massive Broadway credits from the 90s, Mm. um, but hadn't really been booking anything for quite some time. And I was so curious because I could tell why. Like, I could sit in the audience and watch her work. And, like, she was, her craft was phenomenal. There was nowhere she couldn't go. She could get there fast, you know. Um, But her vibrancy, that's the Mm. word I, I like to use. Her vibrancy felt muted. It just felt like... Yeah, it just wasn't all there. And I I had everybody fill out a health history form before the class. And when I looked at hers, I was like, oh, okay, all right. Yeah. And so, you know, she did her monologue and it was phenomenal the first time. Um, and then I gave her a couple drills based on the health history form and some of the intuitional hits I'd had from watching her. And like, it worked. She was, she was lit and we were all just sobbing. Here is this unbelievable full expression of what it means to be human. And we get to witness it, you Mm -hmm. know, and it was her body. She couldn't, couldn't have gotten that from acting classes. She'd taken all the acting classes. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it was that or just fate, but she freaking booked like two Broadway shows back to back. Yes. (laughs) Yes, she did. I love it. I love it. I mean, what I'm hearing is that the work that you're doing, obviously it's connected to the craft and the work that we're doing, but the the adjustments, the way in which you work is really about like, cool, I'm seeing what's happening. I'm hearing what's happening. I've looked at the, I've assessed what's happened. And because of this, here's a finger thing. Because of this, here's a toe thing. And then working individually with your physical body in order to help relieve, change, move, shift things so that the rest of it can feel more holistic. Is that accurate? Yes. How cool. How cool. Have you been using the same monologue for years and could use a new piece? Are you applying to BA, BFA, or MFA programs and need a monologue for that process? Are you someone who simply has no idea where to search for monologues? Well, lucky for you, I do what is called monologue sourcing, in which I find monologues specifically chosen for you. So many artists use pieces based off external labeling for types and roles rather than find pieces sharing who they really are and what speaks to them. So we'll meet virtually together, 
you share who you are as a human, what you love, your dislikes, your values, beliefs, family, friends, love, politics, you name it. I will help guide you through this. And then I go off on my own and find you monologues chosen just for you that fit like a glove. I've been doing monologue sourcing for years as an extension of the coaching I do with artists, and I have found pieces in this way for over hundreds of artists thus far. So if you are someone who wants to feel empowered about the monologues you bring into rooms and use for auditions, I would love to help you find them. And because you are a dedicated listener of the Empowered Artist Collective podcast, I want to provide you with a custom link to an exclusive rate when you check out today. Head to empoweredartistcollective.com slash podcast promo to register. That's empoweredartistcollective.com slash podcast promo right now. I cannot wait to help you find monologues you absolutely adore. I want to ask um, about the kind of vicious cycle, though, that happens when (laughs) there is, whether it's the word deficit or stress or anxiety or tension and how it becomes this cyclical situation of I'm feeling really stressed and now I don't want to feel stressed anymore. So I'm going to push the stress away. I'm going to pretend the stress isn't there or, you know, the anxiety, the nerves, blah, blah, blah. And then obviously it comes out in all the ways we don't intend because that's not how feelings and emotions and whatever work through our bodies. They have to be acknowledged and understood and moved through. But let's say we try to do all of that. How or what are some in real time tips for the anxiety part of it? where it's like, I actually need to accomplish a task. The fact of the matter is I am operating at, in this real time, a deficit or stress or tension. What besides breath (laughs) is something that we can do to work with our anxiety or combat it in real time without having the, obviously like the training that's like, okay, cool. I have these things that I know work for this with my eyes for me specifically. Exactly. So I just feel like the first thing to do is name it, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm, I'm stressed, you know, so I take off the, the expectations of not feeling stressed, you know, because that's just more threat going into the bucket of me being, I shouldn't feel like this, right? Like, so that is a a cognitive task that I oftentimes need to use and go, no, you you are a wreck. (laughs) (laughs) You are a mess. And that is beautiful. (laughs) Yes. And then, then, yeah, I mean, like lovingly, like what, what do I need? I want to say this before I get specific. What's so interesting to me is that the more I kind of work with people and their individual nervous systems, we all have these funky things we do instinctively (laughs) to, to process or move through the, these emotions, right? Like I pick at my split ends, like I just sit and I will stare and that's what I do. You know, like it's, (laughs) it's, it's not fixing anything, but I do think for me, and I can break this down and go, well, I'm getting deep levels of convergence, which I know really helps my brain. I'm getting tactile stimulation. I'm moving my hands like there's movement. It's feeding the cerebellum. I mean, like yeah. I, can, I can overanalyze <laughs> this to death, but the fact is my brain instinctively knows that this for some reason feels good to me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just a matter of like, at some point I need to go to work. And so I'm going to need to stop doing it. So, right. <laughs> yeah. but I just love finding those things and like giving people permission to be like, Oh, right. That's the thing I do. And I'm, there's a reason for it. Yes. Mm-hmm. It may be weird, but like, it's my thing. It's like sucking my thumb, right? Like we have our ways of calming ourselves that are unique and individual to each one of us. And then from a global piece, I do think, I mean, the exhalation is huge. 
bag breathing, like putting a bag over your face and just getting the carbon dioxide flowing can be a really, it can be extremely powerful. For some people, like sensory deprivation works better. For some people, like, you know, before we did this, because I was feeling a little nervous, like I picked up my kettlebell and I squeezed my butt and my legs and like felt my body and like put a ton of tension in there. And like that helps me ground. Mm -hmm. Um, I wasn't sure I was going to show you this, but I actually, this is one of my favorite tools and you can buy it like on Amazon, but like the sweet sweat, they spelt is my friend. <laughs> like Unreal. Y'all, if you are tuning into the YouTube, this is worth the tune in. <laughs> we just got a little visual. <laughs> yes. Uh, this is a ab belt, which they market for like weight loss. And, yeah. and it actually does work for weight loss, but not for the reasons that they say, like it's supposed to help you sweat it out while you're working out. Okay, cool. But it's also putting heat and pressure on your abdomen, mm. which can, which does trigger the vagus nerve and send signals up to the insular cortex, which is where our sense of self lives. Um, it's an integration hub of all kinds of sensory things. When I put this thing on for the first time, um, I'd say my anxiety levels went from like an eight to a four. Oh, wow. Instantaneously. And that's, In- do you feel like that's because it's just holding you in some way? Like just the idea of being held? So I, I, yes. And so for me, like my deficits show up in like a, I literally don't really feel myself well, which is why when I stress out, I just vacate. Like I'm just, there's no one, I'm not here. So this literally is like, oh, this is where I am. Mm. (laughs) I kind of, you know, when I'm stressed, I need reminders of, oh, I have a body. Mm. And specifically with the core. I mean, I had done, I'd done a lot of attempts at like, I feel my feet in audition. Right. Like there are my feet. And now all I'm thinking about are my feet. <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah, we've been there. Yeah, we've been there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this, this sweet sweat ad belt, you can get them. It doesn't have to be the sweet sweat. That's the brand I like. I like it because it's thick. Mm. Um, I have them on Amazon. Um, I have a link on my website. If you go to neurologyofpresence.com, all my favorite gear is on there. Cute. Um, so yeah, Cute. that the, the ab belt can be a big, big one. Um, and you don't need an ab belt. You could put like your dog, you know, on your stomach, right? <laughs> you could- Literally my favorite thing to do in the whole world. Exactly. Yeah. Like, where's my stress dog? I mean, my dog. Where is my, where is my exactly. pillow? I mean, my, my dog. Yep. Right. So that's, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, a simple one that people, you know, I can do in a session with people is like figure out colors. Colored lenses can be a really big help in calming mm. things down or energizing things, depending on what, what your nervous system is actually asking for. So yeah, there's some of these like really weird things. They're not mm. like high tech. They're super low tech, super, mm. super economical. That can be really easy to use. I love that. Um, as we wind down our time, is there anything that is on your heart that we did not talk about that you want to share? Is there anything that you feel at this point in your life and your career and your journey, looking back on your life that you wish you knew? Mm, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, I feel like we've covered so much of it and I, I love that we did that organically. Mm-hmm. Um, my revolution, right, is this idea of like, yeah, we have physical bodies and they are wiser than we realize. And we are connected to the natural world. Um, and we live in an extremely modern world that sort of cuts us off from that and imposes all kinds of things that we don't necessarily even understand. 
like, you know, all this technology is impacting us, right? And so, yeah, get outside, play, and remember that you're a human being first, right? And that, because that artistic piece, the creativity piece, it's kind of at the mercy of that in a way. Not that I can't create from pain, I can, but like that freedom and that feeling of like being fully alive, which is what I think we're seeking when we're, when we're in our art. Like there's a quote, Dr. Cobb is the founder of Z Health, this program that I got educated through and I'm now a master trainer of this program that no one's ever heard of. Um, it has now. <laughs> these, people, these people have now. So, um, But yeah, he has this quote. It's on my website if you want to see it in like real words. But it is mm -hmm. the most profound thing I think I've ever heard, which is essentially everything we have ever experienced is brain derived. Mm -hmm. Right. And I. For someone who's like, I'm a spiritual seeker, I've done all these things, right? That was profound for me to go, wait a second, but that's still through my brain. Right. I had a human experience of this, what seemed like esoteric spiritual thing. It happened from my brain. And so prioritizing my brain health then becomes that much more important to me because anything I want to do in this lifetime is going to be impacted by how well, my brain is functioning. And on the flip side of that, rather than it being like, oh gosh, pain, pain, injury, it's also like, no, but also the potential of like reaching levels of creativity or experience or whatever that it is I'm seeking can be that much more magnified the more I am playing with my brain, stimulating my brain, doing these things, you know, via my body to have that that experience. Yeah, that that concept of like the brain is sort of the governor is, um, I don't know. It's just so it's, it's changed my life. Like it's just yeah. really good thing for me. Yeah. Part of me like wants to reject that because I'm, I'm somebody who has mostly operated via my brain and I'm like, I need to not be up there so much in my head. I know that was like my major, like have to break through in grad school, which was like, stop, stop. You're smart. Stop thinking your way through the thing. Start like, feeling. I'd need to find a better phrase because when I say brain, I'm not talking frontal cortex. Great. Let's re let's rephrase that then. So you mean what part? <laughs> I was going to say like old brain, like lizard brain, but it's not mm. that either. Like we have that insular cortex. Is it like the knowing when we talk about like inner knowing rather than like the inner it, thinking? Is it is it that? It's actually the machinery. It's the actual machinery. Got it. It's the, it's the hardware. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and just to say this, there isn't like an optimal hardware system. Mm -hmm. There's the optimization of your individual hardware. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. We take in, I don't know how many million num signals, hundreds of millions of signals every second. Mm -hmm. Our thalamus is like the gatekeeper of what gets brought to that monkey mind's attention. Mm-hmm. Maybe not even the monkey mind's attention, that also that awareness that you're talking about. Five. We get five signals out of all of those signals that we are actually aware of. Mm. So what is going on in all those other millions of signals? And do you believe through this work that you can train your body to start to tune into the alternative ones? I know that Great. I <laughs> we love an assurance yeah you're like no i i have zero doubts this is the way <laughs> great my monkey totally mind's just along for the ride it's like yeah. right this is different yeah well that's uh, a, that is the that's a beautiful shift right because i feel you know 
again, as society, we're taught like, you know, thinking is the brain, right? Rather than, yeah, acknowledging or being reminded like I was beautifully in this moment. That is just a section of our brains. And there is so much more that we don't even know going on behind the scenes, below the scenes, not even in the scenes that is just existing. Um, and when it, the tuning into one's brain or one's mind doesn't actually refer necessarily to that space and to be able to recognize that there are multi parts of that area, that region that we can offer a warm welcome into to include into the conversation as a reminder that it doesn't need to just be the conversation, but the one part of the brain that we've used for so long. I think that is a wonderful little invitation. So thank you. Yeah, totally. Totally. Now I understood it, but that's why I ask questions. <laughs> oh, and you know, coming back to that, like the importance then of you being able to communicate with that part of you, right? Mm -hmm. Because we only have typically this languaging of me and my brain and the, the, the thinking brain, the frontal yeah. cortex, um, you know, and even that intuitive, intuitive place, like sometimes I don't always trust that voice, right? right. Like, and one of the things that's been so interesting for me, so I hold a lot of tension in my neck and like, so I often use my neck range of motion as an assessment for decision-making at this mm. point. Like, what does my neck say about this? Oh, it doesn't like it at all. Okay, interesting information that I can now use to weigh weigh my decision here. Um, and so, yeah, bringing, bringing the physical body to the table in, in some of these decision-making processes that, that impact us. Um, yeah. yeah. I love it's, that. It's pretty cool. I love that. Um, thank you so much for sharing this with our listeners. Um, for anybody who would like to work with you or to follow along with your content or your journey, what are some of the best places for people to find you within your boundaries? Yes. Um, so I'm very busy on Instagram these days. Um, this work is complicated and it is like a whole new paradigm, a whole new way of thinking about things. And so I do find like visually depicting it seems useful. Um, mm -hmm. Also, I get to, you know, create content, which I'm an artist and I like doing. Yeah. So that's all happening. Check it out over there. What's uh, your handle? Uh, Jessica Rom Foster. Beautiful. And then I have a newsletter, which you can get to on my website, neurologyofpresence.com. Mineralogypresence.com website. I'm just gonna say right now, like if you want to read a lot about this, it's on my website. I am in the process of like making it more digestible. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. has lots of words, but on there is a tab that says subscribe to my newsletter. And yeah. I'm sending that out every week. That's been really cool to kind of digest these things into weekly bite-sized pieces. Mm -hmm. Um I'm doing a Q&A on Instagram on my newsletter topic every week, every Friday. Great. So tune in. Um, and then, yeah, um, once you're on my list, like I'm, my goal is to, right now there's private coaching, um, but I do feel like, you know, this is, it's an investment private coaching. And for so many people who aren't in like really specific pain patterns, um, or not specific, but like debilitating pain patterns. Mm -hmm. What I think most of us need is just an experience of trying on these different stimuli. And so my goal is to have a class launched sort of by spring of next year. So mm -hmm. I do think like that's going to be really an awesome way for people to come in and experience this and try mm -hmm. it and go, oh my gosh, I, I want to dive deeper into this or, oh, that was neat. Thank you so yeah. much. I'm going to go play now. And and yeah, exactly. All of this will be linked in the show notes as well. So feel free to check those out. Um, thank you so much for being 
I'm so fun. It's so great to come talk with performers and artists. And yeah, it's great. Yeah, I love it. Awesome. Wonderful. Thanks. Hopefully this episode inspires you to think about your brain and your body in a different way and the way in which you can take care of it through this type of perspective. With that said, I also want to give you the remainder of Jessica's sleuthy self-care list. Here they are. Number one, move often. Two, look up and look out. Three, breathe. Four, go outside. Five, enjoy your meals. Six, get sensual. Seven, sing. Eight, touch, hug someone. Nine, have your feelings. And 10, share these tips with a friend. So if you like this episode, please like, rate, follow, and most importantly, review us. This allows us to have these conversations so that more people like yourself can come and tune on in and listen. If this episode was not for you, just let it all slide. If you have not yet done so, please follow us on Instagram at Empowered Artists Collective, on TikTok at Empower Artists Collective, on our website at EmpoweredArtistsCollective.com. And if you are seeking some merchandise, we got you in the show notes. As always, I am so, so, so grateful that you keep on coming back and we will be back again next week. Until then.